G'day everybody and welcome to the 14th episode of Expand, the Phantom Podcast. Uh, today Jermaine and I have a very special guest with us. We have Andreas Eriksson from um, Scandinavia who has helped us out a great deal with the site and has been a very important member of the uh, international Phantom community for a long time now. G'day Andreas, how are you? Hello, I'm fine, but it's uh, a heat wave here in Sweden right now, so it's uh, warmer than usual. Oh, wow, and we're in the middle of um, winter, so I don't know about you, Jermaine, but it's freezing here in New South Wales. Yeah, um, yeah, it's about 16 degrees, and it's about as cold as it ever gets during the day. What's the heat wave in, uh, in Sweden, though? Well, it's uh, about 34 degrees Celsius, which is... Uh, warm for us anyway. I don't know if you Australians think that's a heat wave or not. Um, no, that's, um, that's, a, that's a cold snack in, in summer. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine that. <laughs> yeah, a heat, wave, a heat wave for us, you've got to be getting up around 50. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, well, um, Andreas, welcome to the podcast. Um, as we do with all our guests the first time there are they're on. We like to talk about how they got introduced to the Phantom. So tell us how you discovered the Ghost Who Walks. Well, I have an older brother, and uh, he had a bunch of uh, comic books uh, in his room, which I started going through. And I was probably around five years old when I started to uh, go through the comic books. Uh, perhaps not really reading them, but at least uh, looking at the pictures. And uh, as you know, the Swedish uh, Phantom comic book isn't only Phantom comics. It's uh, The Phantom is in every issue, and then there's lots of different backup comics that fill out the rest of the comic book. Mm-hmm. And I was actually not so impressed by the Phantom stories to begin with. I uh, don't think that I really tried to read any Phantom stories until I had finished all the comic books uh, that had Mandrake, the Magician, and the Flash Gordon because I like those stories better. Uh, but finally, I started to read the Phantom stories as well, and uh, I enjoyed them, and uh, a few years years later, I became a more dedicated fan and uh, started buying every issue and reading it more thoroughly. Oh, cool. That's, that's interesting that you um, started younger. A lot of fans seem to, their fandom seems to start started when they were young. And it's kind of cool that you um, liked Mandrake originally and then, for lack of a better term, graduated yeah. to <laughs> the fandom. Yeah. Cool. So, um, like I mentioned, you've been part of the fandom community for a long time now and you've been involved in many, many uh, fandom-related uh, communities and websites and things like that. Would you like to tell us a bit about... Um, how you're involved in the community, what you what you get up to in your spare time? Yeah, well, uh, that also started quite early on that uh, I became a, a, a dedicated reader who wrote uh, Fanland uh, magazine, the comic book. And that was around when I was 10 years old, perhaps, when I sent some mail to them. And I got pretty, uh, pretty good feedback from, from the editors at the time, so that sort of sparked my interest even more. And then when uh, the internet came around, it became easier to get in touch with other fans. So uh, from originally corresponding to the editors, I started to uh, join forums and uh, mail groups on the internet. 
And I think the first forum was the original Phantom forum that people had branched it. Then uh, uh, when the Default Memorial Bengali Explorers Club started in Australia, there was also a Scandinavian chapter formed uh, quite soon after that. And I was contacted by the founders who had uh, sort of asked people around if they knew anyone from uh, Sweden or Scandinavia that was active on various forums. And that's how I got in touch with more Swedish towns. And as you know, we in the Scandinavian chapter are quite uh, active with not only uh, discussions on a mailing list, but also we meet several times a year and we have various activities. So uh, that uh, my my interest in the phantom sort of uh, started to grow instead of declining when I was around uh, 20 or something, when a lot of people don't uh, read as much comic books. But for me, it was the other way around. I, met so many people with the same interest that it was fun to keep going. Mm. Uh, and then uh, uh, what happened was that the contact with the uh, editorial stuff for the Swedish fan comic book also grew. And uh, I started uh, to contribute more and more material to them as a freelancer. Uh, editorial material like uh, answering uh, questions from uh, readers and uh, writing articles about uh, characters from the comic strip and so on. Um, I was just going to ask, where does... um, So with the Lee Fort Memorial Bengal's Explorers Club, it's quite popular uh, in Australia. and I'm sure you, you know you've uh, through some previous discussions or uh, emails, you, you know a little bit about how they, how in Australia it runs. How is it different in the Swedish side of things? Uh, well, uh, what I've noticed from the Australian side is that uh, mainly there's one big dinner every year, and you have a lot of auctions to raise money for charity. Raising money for charity, yeah. like hospitals in Sweden, is not such a big deal uh, uh, that's not very common because hospitals and uh, most other things are funded by taxes and you know public publicly funded so our dinners are not not at all focused on raising money for charities that we do what we do in uh, charity wise is that we pay for some subscriptions of the phantom and we donate that to some children's hospitals so uh, that's yeah. that's what we do in that area, and then we uh, we try to have meetings more than once a year, and the focus is not so much on the dinner, but we want to do something uh, special. The actual meeting that takes place before the dinner is usually that we have invited some guest speakers, like uh, creators of the Phantom, or that we visit to the editorial office or a comic convention that happened to take place at that time or something like that. So it's much more about the actual meeting and uh, doing something phantom-related and having a dinner afterwards. That's just a bonus. So do a lot of the team phantom men um, attend the dinners as well as um, visitors? Like I know you've had Pete Clowes and, and some others uh, attending as well. Most of the Swedish creators and the editorial staff have been to uh, our meetings and some have been 
We've also been visited by some other uh, people like uh, Cy Barry, George Olsen, and uh, Elizabeth Sport, for example, from from uh, more distant countries. Oh wow, that's nice. That's, that's pretty cool having Elizabeth Fort come. That's 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 really cool. Yeah, she came when we did the uh, Lee Fork tribute book. Uh, after we had been going uh, on for 10 years with our club, we wanted to do something special. So that's when we did our first book, uh, which uh, was to celebrate the 60th anniversary of the Phantom and comic book in Sweden, mm-hmm. which happened to be the same year as uh, the Scandinavian chapter turned 10 years. So we did a book about... Uh, the, the Swedish comic book, a tribute, and then the following year was the year when uh, Lee Fox would have been 100 years old if he had lived. So we did that book and we uh, got in touch with his family and Elizabeth was so uh, excited about the project that she uh, made sure that she came to the book release that we had in Gothenburg in 2011. Yeah, that, that, I remember reading about that. And of course for those that... um. May may not know that's the Lee Fox storyteller uh, tribute book that um, the Scandinavian chapter put together that a lot of people had um, input into. But I think Andreas, you were probably the driving force behind that. I remember you talking about it for for a while before the thing actually was released. Yeah, I was sort of the editor that gathered all the uh, material that we could and uh, sort of coordinated translations and all the things that we needed to do. It was kind of a – all our uh, projects have been quite uh, short uh, time spent work on them because we didn't really think about uh, when Lee Falk would have been 100 years old. We discovered that during the year. Oh, well. Wow. So, so that was uh, a very quick project, and basically you know, what we did was that we tried to find as much uh, existing material as possible, interviews and articles about Lee and I got permission to use them in the book. And then uh, we got in touch with his family and friends to get the photos, and some of them wrote some uh, personal texts. So it was a lot of a lot of people were involved in finding the material and getting the permission to reprint it, but most of the material was sort of existing texts that had been hard to find. Yeah, but, um, you know, the effort must have taken to put all that together and also to um, to translate it because some things were translated from English to uh, Swedish and other things the other way around. It must have been a Herculean effort. It's a very impressive book. So if anyone... Yeah, has... we did... Sorry? We did it in two versions at the same time, uh, a Swedish version and an English version. So as you said, some text had to be translated from Swedish to English and some from English to Swedish and some interviews that we found were in completely different languages, like Italian. So, uh, yeah, it was a lot of uh, coordination that was required, but we spread it out over dozens of people who helped uh, with it. So that's how we made it. But uh, after that, we haven't made any more books. Uh, instead, we have started to release calendars, wall calendars, every year. The job effort is uh, much smaller for those projects. Yeah, those those calendars are very cool too. I was just um, wondering, with your uh, the translation from say like Italian to Swedish to English or English to back to Sweden and Swedish or, or Norwegian and all that, how did you go with the translations? Because I know 
with the free comic, there's been a few um, uh, language and grammar issues going from the script to, you know, back to English. Yeah, I've noticed that. Um, well, I work with translations in my uh, uh, regular job also, and the, the main uh, thing about translations is that the translator should be uh, fluent in the language he's translating to. It is more important, if you are going to translate a text into English, it is more important that you are a great uh, person, uh, great at writing in English, than you are great at understanding Italian, because you can always look up words in a dictionary or get help from some uh, online translation tool, but you have to be good at the uh, final language to make sure there are no grammar errors in English, for example. Uh, the the end yes. result is what uh, what is most important. So that's that's uh, how we did this project. Everything that was translated into Swedish was translated by someone from Sweden, and uh, everything that was translated into English was at least proofread by someone from uh, who spoke English as a native language. I know I, I did some of the translation into English, but we always had someone else checking it. Yeah. Well, I've um I haven't read the whole book because it's a lot of pages, um, but I've I've read a fair bit of it and uh, had a really good flick through it. And every and it's a very nice book, uh, the English one. So um yeah, it's it's very much appreciated. You did a very good job. Yeah, and the the translation's really spot on. I think I've read probably about oh, I don't know maybe two thirds of it, so I've almost finished it, and I've picked up on maybe one or two. Um, grammatical errors, but they're so minute that unless, like you say, Andreas, you were a native-speaking, um, someone who natively spoke English, you probably wouldn't notice it anyway. And being a teacher, I can tell you that most native English speakers probably wouldn't notice it either. So you did a fantastic job. Yeah. Well, um, the, when you do a big project like that, there will always be errors, but I think that given uh, <laughs> the time that we, the time frame that we had, we did a an okay job at it. Yeah, it's it's a brilliantly done book, and um, if if people listening haven't got a copy of it, it's well worth picking up. Uh, is there any copies left? Are there any copies left at all, or did it sell out? Uh, I think that there are a few copies left, and uh, if people contact us, we can always uh, find more copies or uh, print more. Uh, I think that for the uh, we we uh, publish these books through a print-on-demand company. So oh, even okay. though we we printed the first uh, run, you know, I don't know how many copies, but what we expect to sell. But we can print one, you know, separately, uh, one one copy if if we need to, and oh, it will be the yeah. same quality as the, as the rest of the print run. Oh, that's pretty cool. I would have thought you needed to get you know a minimum. 500 or something done just to make it um, viable monetarily, but that's that's really cool. You can just print whatever. Well, uh, we've never been very good at uh, making a profit. We have uh, <laughs> we uh, we have priced the books uh, as low as possible to get as many people as possible to buy it. Yep. That has been our main goal. So the books haven't been uh, we haven't made any money from the books, I should say. Yeah, it has more mostly been a fun project and uh, you know creating something that we wanted to have as a collectible as well. 
that's great. Um, something else I wanted to talk uh, about, um, which I know is a direct result of the Scandinavian chapter, but I'm not sure how much uh, you personally had to do with this, so please fill us in. But um, that's the, uh, the Phantom Wiki, which uh, everyone should have checked out if you haven't already, which, of course, can be found at, <clears throat> excuse me, found at phantomwiki.org. Now, am I right in believing that the wiki came about as a result of the deepwoods.org site closing? Yeah, exactly. When uh, Brian Shannon decided that he, should, that he wouldn't update the Deepwoods page anymore, we quickly decided that we should start something of our own. And uh, basically to, to make sure that uh, new information is added somewhere, but also... Uh, um, by working uh, on a wiki site, you can have more contributors adding information, and it has been easier for us to add information about, for example, foreign editions of Phantom Comics than it would have been for Brian, yeah. who had to do the, most of the job himself, even if others supplied text and images. So what the Phantom Wiki right now uh has been mainly focused on is basically making an index of uh, where the Phantom stories have been published in countries all over the world down to individual issues or even newspapers because that is something that is quite easy to uh, build together on a site like a wiki and there are lots of people out there that have compiled this information but they don't uh, they didn't have anywhere else to put it until we started the wiki yeah so uh, what we would love to have is more contributors to the wiki and perhaps some that are more interested in writing the things that require you to, uh, you know, write more complicated things like descriptions of characters and places and summaries of important stories and stuff like that. But it's, of course, much, much easier to just add to an index of uh, where stories have been published. So that part of the wiki has been uh, filled very quickly with lots and lots of material. But on the other hand, we don't have as much as you might have hoped or expected from, um, you know, the articles that go in-depth about the things and characters in the comic strip. Yeah, fair enough. Well, um, I'm looking at the main page now, and it says that you've got 18,400 articles on there at the moment. So does that mean individual pages or does that mean someone's actually written like separate articles about, oh, I'm just on the front page here, this Jungle Olympics and then maybe another article about um, through. So how is that number counted? That, here, huh? that, that is 18,000 separate pages. And each that is because we have split up. So every issue of... Proves Phantom, for example, is one page, and since Proof has published almost 2,000 issues by now, yeah. um, on uh, 1,700, that means that 1,700 pages are just uh, separate issues of the Proof Phantom, and then we have over 1,500 pages that are separate issues of the Swedish Phantom and uh, comic book. So, of course, the the big number of pages are just uh, issue summaries uh, oh. of, of comic books. So uh, that's what I mean when I say that uh, we have uh, 
uh, fewer articles written about characters in the comic strip. You know, even if there have been lots and lots of uh, characters in the Phantom strip that should serve an article of their own, we have perhaps only 100 pages that are dedicated to characters. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Well, there you go. There's something for people listening to tackle. Now, um, I've been a bit lazy when it comes to the Phantom Wiki. I've, I've given you stuff um, a little bit, but not a lot. Jermaine, you've submitted a whole bunch of stuff, haven't you? Would you um, like to take us through how you do that? Um, probably not a whole bunch of stuff. Um, it's pr- it is pr- it is a great uh, tool. Um, I use it for my research um, when I'm trying to find comics from around the world and uh, and stuff like that. Um, I, I've submitted a lot of stuff. Um, there's there's some people on there that seem to have more time than others um, and I end up just sending them the information and they put it up you know as as I can send it to them um, but yeah it's again I'm a little bit lazy like you Joe you know <laughs> I just don't you know just don't get around to um, to adding it all but um, yeah it's, it's a great tool um, what, what was actually uh, funny is before um, I knew about the the, the wiki um, that Andreas was doing with the uh, Swedish chapter. I was actually in discussion with a couple of other people about creating something similar. Um, I don't know if you remember that Andreas, but um, yeah, so you know, great ones think like, and but the, the um, he's done another great job with that. Cool. Well, yeah, it, it's a wonderful resource, um, and if, if people haven't checked it out, yeah. then it's definitely worth having a look. I've um, spent a long time reading through all the articles and, and getting information for um, when I'm putting articles up on, on Chronicle Chamber or just adding information to my own um, database of, of fan of comics that I have. So, yeah, it's a great it's a great resource. You guys have done a wonderful job. really excited about uh, and that is the fan Sweden. Um, I know. I know for myself. I know a little bit about it, but for a lot of for a lot of us, especially Australian readers, and you know, from the others around the world and all that, um, the fandom popularity in Sweden and Norway and some of the other um, uh, countries around that area, it's it's always a bit of a mystery. You know how you have the fandom as a backup character and. Um, you know, how come you've got a team creating your own stories? And so I, I guess this is, I'm looking forward to, um, you know, uh, having a little bit of hearing, hearing a little bit about the, the, the fandom in Sweden. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, Andres. Well, um, I suppose we should start at the beginning. So I found it interesting that, um, the, the fandom, appeared in Sweden for the first time in the 1940s um, in a magazine called Beko Revian. I probably pronounced that terribly, yeah. but anyway. Um, I found that interesting because the original appearance of The Phantom in Australia was, of course, 1936 in The Woman's Mirror. Uh, and then um, it continued, of course, in, in, into fruit. So it's kind of interesting that these two countries that um, are regarded as having the largest popularity of the fandom in the world 
kind of started around the same time. Like, there's only a couple of years difference um, from when the Phantom first appeared in in Australia. And, of course, there was a bit of a break there from um, 1940 to 1948 when Fru picked it up. But still, that original um, appearance was very close. I just, just found that interesting. Uh, but anyway, I guess I should shut up and let Andreas talk about this. So could you uh, tell us about you know, the background of the Phantom in Sweden and how how you feel he's received in the country. Yeah, you first of all, you're absolutely right that it started out similar in Sweden and Australia that in that uh, the Phantom first appeared in a weekly magazine with a one page every week as a serial. And the interesting part here in Sweden is that uh, it wasn't the Sunday stories that were used as a weekly page. They edited together several daily strips instead. Oh wow! So that's how that's, oh, what, wow. that's how they did it. And uh, uh, after becoming successful in Veckorevin, uh, which was the weekly magazine you mentioned, it started to spread into uh, daily strips in several newspapers around Sweden during the 1940s. So uh, by the time that uh, the Phantom comic book started in 1950, the Phantom was already quite uh, well-known and popular in Sweden, thanks to uh, the newspapers. Uh, One funny thing there, though, is that uh, not all of them used the name the Phantom, or in Swedish, Phantom. It was um, another name was invented for the Phantom in Swedish. Uh, and it was Dragos, which is not even a Swedish word, it's just a made-up uh, name. Uh, and uh, for some reason, they uh, chose to use that name in some of the newspapers that published the Phantom Strip. Uh, some people speculate that it was actually uh, because of Lee Falk's other comic, Mandrake, that uh, this name appeared uh, on the Phantom in Sweden, because in Denmark, they published Maverick under this name, Dragos. For some strange reason, they decided to use the Danish name for Maverick on the Phantom strips that were published in Sweden. So, was that just like a, a mix-up? Well, no one remembers, no one is still around from these days, so they... Uh, the best that we can get is it was an, either a mix-up or for some reason they thought that the name Phantom was uh, not suitable for a, for a daily strip that was published and read by kids. So they preferred to choose uh, a name that was made up and didn't really mean anything. Uh, but whatever the reason, uh, the name Dragos was still used in some newspapers very, very long, uh, almost uh, until the uh, 1980s, and in some examples, even after the year 2000, they used the name Dragos instead of Phantom, but only for the data strips that were published in newspapers. Because the comic book that was released in 1950 uh, shows the name Phantom, which means the Phantom, directly translated. So that has always been the more popular name for the Phantom. And the name Dragos sort of became one of the Phantom's many names, as, you know, the ghost walks and uh, stuff like that. It was just one of his many other names. Uh, 
And the, and the comic book that was released in 1950 was a, a big success from the start. Uh, uh, it was in color uh, to begin with, and uh, uh, right from the start, it had that uh, thing that has become typical for the comic book in Sweden, that main story. And the main character is in every issue, but there are also lots of different backup comics that fill out the and this was uh, made entirely by choice. There was actually a law that caused this. Because if you wanted the magazine to be distributed through the mail, for example, for subscribers, which is a very important thing to publish a magazine, it's great to have subscribers that uh, want every issue and they get it through the mail. But there was a law in Sweden that you couldn't have uh, a whole magazine that contained only one story and distributed through the mail. And really? this was, yeah, there was a reason for this as well, because um, uh, they wanted to prohibit people ordering books and having them delivered through the mail. They wanted people to buy books in stores. So if you have a law that said that you can't have a magazine that contains only one story, that, that meant that you couldn't send books through the mail with the, so the, you know, the, the subscription deal that you have in the post office. So is that the reason why uh, the current comics have backup stories? Yeah. All the Swedish comic books that started around this time had to do something to get around this law. Either they used several stories with the same main character. For example, the Superman and the Batman comics, they had several stories with the main character. But with the Phantom, they split up the Phantom story and had, had it running in several issues like a, like a serial. And then they filled out the rest of the comic books with other comics. And that was to get around this uh, law that said that you couldn't have subscriptions of... Uh, publications that included only one story. <laughs> that's fascinating. Hmm. So that, that's the origin of the Scandinavian and in some ways European tradition of having several comics in one comic book, despite the name being uh, you know, just one of the characters that is published in the comic book. Most comic books are really anthology comic books when they are published here. Wow. Wow. So what, um, I should say this law does not apply anymore. That's, uh, that's not many, many decades ago, but people, uh, readers, uh, buyers here in Sweden are so used to this that uh, it would be impossible to change it now. Ah, uh, just keeping the tradition alive. Yeah. Cool. Something else that I find interesting um, with, the, with the fan is... is in, in Australia, the Phantom comic um, is released in newsagents, and I guess in America, it's released in comic book stores. How is it sold in Sweden? Uh, more like in Australia. It's in newsagents and gas stations and grocery stores and, you know, everything like that. There are very, very few comic book stores in Sweden. So if you want to publish something you can't rely only on the comic book stores because there are like 
less than 20 in the entire country, so that's that's not viable. Oh wow! So a comic a comic book like Phantom uh, is distributed widely in every imaginable store that sells comic books and magazines. So there is a great great number of issues copies that are printed of every issue. Uh, and I'm not sure how it works in Australia, but I've heard that the news agents in Australia, they can have several issues for sale at the same time. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. That's that's not the case in Scandinavia. When one issue comes out, the preceding older issue is sent back, or basically it's sent to uh, uh, be destroyed. That's what happens to most of the copies that aren't sold. I, um, oh, really? I think... I think that that thing with uh, having multiple issues sold in newsagents here in Australia, that's true for Fru. But when you're talking about your American comics like Superman and Batman, they have to be returned to the distributor for newsagents. Whereas comic stores can hold on to them because of the back issue market. Yeah. So, well, in Sweden, the unsold copies, uh, they are uh, sent to recycling. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So they did they're not sent back to uh, to the publishing company. The publishing company usually keeps a handful, uh, you know, just when they are released. But they don't offer back issues for sale. If you want to get back issues, you have to go to you know comic book stores that have that hold on to them uh, or uh, buy them as uh, used comics on websites or stuff like that. Wow. Is that because there's not a market for it, or is it just the way it works? No, that's how it works. It's definitely a market for it. I would say that The Phantom is one of the comics that there is uh, a, a really big market for uh, older issues. Uh, there there are lots of uh, people trading in uh, older issues of The Phantom comic book, but that's how the distribution system works. Uh, you can, I believe... Uh, get it returned to the publisher, but the cost of doing that is so high that it basically takes the profit out of publishing it. So it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, more economic to, you know, simply have uh, the issue sent to recycling after they have, haven't been sold. That's interesting that the issues are sold in, um, petrol stations or, um, gas stations and, um, places like that because here in Australia, the only place you can buy comics is a comic store or a newsagent. They're not really kind of out there in, in other shops. And from what I've, I've read and things like that, it's similar um, in America. It used to be in America you could buy comics um, pretty much anywhere. You hear about older creators. They could buy them uh, at drug stores and gas stations as well. But when... Um, specialized comic stores started opening that changed so comics weren't as readily available which then affected the popularity or the acceptance i guess of comics so that's why you now have that you know only nerds and losers read comics so is there that perception in sweden if comics are kind of more out there and in more uh for lack of a better term regular stores what's the um acceptance or, or the thought on comics just as a medium, just in general in, in Sweden? 
Well, comics in general, they were really big, I would say, from the 1950s when the Phantom and comic books started here in Sweden up until at least the end of the 1980s. From that period, I would say that comic books was bigger than, uh, you know, computer games, obviously, because that had really taken off uh, back then. So the the fact that you could buy comics everywhere and every kind of person bought comics meant that it was sort of accepted. But the the biggest uh, uh, problem has always been that it's regarded as something for kids. Yeah. So when you are when you are an adult that still buy the Phantom or uh, any other comic book like uh, the Disney comics that are very popular popular here, then I I would guess that you are looked at as a nerd just like in America or wherever. But it used to be very very accepted as a medium uh, for at least children. But then, of course, sales of comics in Sweden and the rest of Scandinavia have suffered just as the sales of any print medium here, I would say. Uh, so, uh, of course, the uh, the reason why we have our own production of Phantom Comics here in, in Scandinavia is because it sold so, so much in the 1970s. First of all, the, all the American stories had been published and reprinted twice or three times or even more, so they needed the material. But also, it sold so good that it was financially possible to start a production of uh, uh, Phantom Comics here, basically for the Scandinavian market. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, of course, now that the sales have dropped, uh, I mean, it would not be... Uh, if the production of Phantom Stories hadn't already begun in the 1970s, probably wouldn't start now with the sales that the comic book has now. But since they have a production that has already been going on and, you know, it's uh, it's working, they have a working procedure for it. They can keep it going for a while, even if the sales are not the same as they were in the 1970s when they started. Oh, okay. So so basically the uh, formation of Team Phantom Man was directly due to the popularity of the character and the amount of sales that we're getting. Definitely. Uh, the comic book, as I said, started out as a color comic book in the 1950s. Uh, after a few years, they dropped the color. They had a bit of a drop in sales and they needed to save money. So they, it became a black and white comic book instead. And then they settled on the uh, format of publishing every two weeks. So 26 issues per year. And as you know, the newspaper strip doesn't finish that many stories in one year, so they quickly ran out of uh, unpublished stories and had to start reprinting. And I think the idea of uh, doing their own stories began as early as in the 1960s, but the real formation of a uh, and a plan for doing it as a as a standard, as a regular thing, that happened in the 1970s. That's when oh, we became uh, decided that this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna start our own team for producing this comic and we're going to have an editor that is responsible for keeping it on track. Before that, it was done you know, a little now and then when one of the staff artists felt like it and they had room to spare yeah. in one of the books. But from the 1970s and onwards, it has been uh, you know, a very planned 
thing to always mm. produce new material. Yeah. Following on from the team Phantom N, um, I, I remember reading when they've been published by Fur, of course, some stories that uh, that have followed on by were followed on from like. Um, other stories that were created by the Italians or the um, the Americans, like there was that um, that bad guy Ranigan or something like that. So um, I was just wondering if you does that does that sound familiar? I didn't hear everything you said. Uh, were you referring to stories from Team Phantom, which uh, referred to uh, stories yeah, from other Yeah, stories that were being printed from um, like other publishers before. Um, and I know there was a... Yeah. I can't, I can't, it starts with R is the bad guy. I mean, it was in a Charleston issue, I think it was. Um, and I well, was just wondering... As I so said, in the early days... Even try the and mirror up the, some of the uh, stories or some of the characters. Yeah. In the early days, it wasn't a, a big plan that we are going to try and make the majority of the new stories ourselves, but the first thing they tried to do was to find other publishers that produced stories, and that included the uh, American comic books from uh, Gold Key and King, and uh, uh, the Italian comic, uh, Phantom Comics from uh, Fratelli Spada, for example. So that uh, they, they started by uh, buying stories from those publishers before they really started their own production. And since those stories were published in Sweden, they were also referenced later when Team Phantom began doing their own stories because they were sort of part of the same continuity. They had been published in the Swedish comic book and every story that had been published there was regarded as part of the same continuity. So it could happen that they used the same, uh, a bad guy that was created in Italy and was uh, used in a Swedish phantom story and stuff yeah, like that. Cool. Wow. Cool. So, um, Andreas, I wanted to ask, um, I'm not sure if, if you're aware, you probably are, but um, when Fru printed the first Team Phantom Man um, Phantom story in 1978, um, there was, I suppose, a bit of a backlash against it, um, which kind of resulted in uh, the second Scandinavian created story not appearing until um, uh, 1983, five years later. I'm not 100% sure on what exactly the backlash was about, but I know the majority of it was about, um, oh, well, people were saying, you know, we want the Lee Fork stuff. We don't want these, you know, overseas stories. Um, I just wanted to ask you what the reaction in uh, Sweden was to the Swedish created stories. I would assume, seeing they were homegrown, it was probably a lot more positive than we whinging Aussies, but um, how did it go down over there? <laughs> Yeah, I think that, uh, well, first of all, even though the stories were created uh, by the Swedish staff, not all the artists and writers were Swedish. As you know, Norman Walker and Don Arnell from England were pretty early on uh, main writers, and Valve, the, the Spanish artist who lived in Denmark, was the main artist and so on. So, uh, but the, I think the reception was very good in Sweden, and mostly because it sort of it, it tackled things uh, in the way that uh, people in the Swedish society did. We had a different view of Africa and uh, 
things that appeared in Adventure Comics than perhaps Lee Falk did in the 1970s. Yeah. Uh, Lee Falk was always ahead of his time compared to, I would say, the American society. But in Sweden, his stories were seen as old-fashioned, and the uh, editorial staff used to do some pretty heavy editing of some of the stories, especially the ones that took place in Africa or dealt with uh, historical events that weren't uh, described in his stories that they actually took place and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the the reception in Sweden was very, very good for these uh, Team Fantoma stories. Um, especially the historical stories became very popular here because we were very interested in in history. And as you know, in many of the uh, historical stories produced here, the Phantom is present at uh, important events in European history, something that probably doesn't interest American or Australian readers as much as we over here. Yeah. And uh, it was actually quite interesting. When I started to really become a collector of Phantom in my early teens, that's when I started to get my first uh, Australian through issues, and I started to read the uh, letter pages, and uh, I actually found that the Australian readers didn't appreciate the stories that I thought were so good. I was very, very... Uh, I, I loved those Swedish stories. Those were the ones that made me a fan. I was not so much a fan of the Lee Fox stories back then, at least. Oh, that, that's, I, was, uh, I was just going to say that that's really interesting that your um, love of the Phantom came from from your own country's creations rather than Lee Fox, because a lot of people say, oh, I love Lee Fox stuff. So that's that's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I it, think uh, the, the Swedish stories appealed to me much more, and I, I think... Sure, those that started to read the Phantom in Sweden in the 1950s and 60s, they have a a nostalgic view of uh, Lee Falk stories, or perhaps they are even more interested in who the artist is. I think that uh, we have lots of uh, Ray Moore and Wilson McCoy and Cy Berry fans in Scandinavia. Uh, Not so much Lee Falk fans, actually. I think that the fans of the newspaper strip are more concerned with who the artist was. Yeah, it's it's interesting you say that because um, I started uh, regularly reading The Phantom around the age of seven, um, and that the very first issue I ever read of The Phantom was through issue 1028, which um, was Fugan's Revenge, and it was actually the, fr- the Swedish stories that I fell in love with, with as a young kid because I just found them so more exciting I guess um, I wasn't because of course all the Lee Fox stuff was um, you know the newspaper strip so the art was smaller and it was a different kind of pacing so to my younger mind the, the Swedish stuff was a lot more entertaining so those stories actually made me become a fan as well so that's kind of interesting that um, you know we have that similar similar experience there um, yeah, I, just, I, I was the same as well mine was uh, 1125 which was the setup. Mm-hmm. That's um, a brilliant story, that. Yeah, it's, to this day, it's still probably one of my uh, top five creative stories. Um, yeah, so I, I was very similar in that sense. I think I think a lot of it, it comes down to the fact of, like, the age of the fan. In Australia, uh, most of the fans are of the older generation. Um, they're... 
maybe you'll correct me if I'm if I'm wrong with this, Andreas, but is the is the comic produced for the older generation like it is in through or is it for the younger generation? I would say that originally it was for the younger generation and uh, but the thing that they did very well in the comic book was that they didn't talk down to younger readers. Young readers were taken seriously, which was uh, it was very evident when you sent in fan mail. And even if you were a seven-year-old who wrote in a fan mail, your opinions were really taken seriously, and you got a serious reply from the editor. And they also didn't try to make the story simpler. You know, in those historical stories. I think they went the opposite way instead. They made the stories uh, full of real details from history and uh, strange names and places. And they often added uh, uh, an article after the story that explained in even more detail what really happened. And, you know, that's that's stuff that isn't aimed for a 12-year-old or a child at all. It's, it's very adult stuff, but when you as a young reader read this and you notice that you know I'm taken seriously and they expect me to understand this, then that means that you sort of lift yourself as a reader. You, you, you want to understand these uh, strange historical references and so on. So, even though the uh, the majority of the buyers used to be uh, young readers. Uh, this, the tone of the comic book was sort of adult. Uh, what happened later on when uh, when the sales dropped is perhaps that the percentage of adult readers increased because uh, those were the ones that had read The Phantom since they were young and they stayed on reading it. Uh, and there were fewer new young readers that started to read The Phantom. So they had a bit of a, I would say, almost an identity crisis in the last decades. Who are we trying to attract as a buyer? Because the older buyers, they are more loyal and faithful and usually they have more money, which uh, is also important. And they are more used to buying print media. Uh, at the same time, if you only focus on the older nostalgic readers, you won't get any new readers. And when you stop having any new readers, you also are in big trouble eventually. That's interesting. Yeah, very, very interesting. Um, so is, is that where the whole app comes into it? Uh, yeah, uh, I would say that uh, the app is part of it. Uh, the fact that, well, first of all, as you know, Egmont is a big, big company with uh, sister companies in lots of uh, countries in Europe. So the situation is very different compared to Prove, which is a company in Australia that has only one title, and that is the Phantom. So they focus all their attention to the Phantom, and they want to keep the Phantom alive, because without that, they don't have any title to publish. Whereas Egmont, as a company... You know, the Phantom is only a tiny, tiny portion of all that they are producing. So mm. there is no, there isn't the same kind of interest in keeping the Phantom alive because uh, they all always have the other titles that sell. Um, and I would say that uh, what Egmont 
really does is they try to uh, be quick and find you know the new things like when uh, Pokemon is uh, new well then they start a comic book dedicated to that runs for a couple of years while that is popular and when that is not popular anymore they cancel that comic book and they look what the next new thing so old titles like the Phantom they are always they have to struggle a bit more because there is no one they're not going to keep the magazine and the comic book alive just because of nostalgia it has to sell and it has to make a profit and since they produce the, the majority of the material themselves uh, it is also one of the more expensive comic books that they publish most of the comic books published are you know comics that are produced by someone else so they only buy the material and translate it and then publish it in Sweden so uh, the the Phantom comic book is more expensive to produce which means that it has to sell a lot more than other comic books to stay alive and uh, so far it does I mean it, it still is one of the best selling comic books in Sweden but it has that that difference compared to Fru that uh, you know no one is going to save the Phantom if it doesn't make a profit anymore then they're gonna replace it with uh, you know the next new kids uh, thing do you have any idea um, roughly how many issues or how many copies per issue would it sell um, Fru here doesn't release their sales numbers so we have no idea how, how many copies sells per issue do you have any idea Andreas on how much uh, well, the same goes here. They they don't want to release the uh, numbers in public, uh, possibly because the numbers are lower than they used to be. But I should say that the Swedish sales of the, the Phantom and comic book are probably around the same or perhaps a little more than Fru in Australia, uh, while uh, the sales of Phantom uh, in Norway are a bit less than Fru, uh, which has is evident in the fact that uh, in Norway they publish less is- issues Yeah. Uh, in, uh, in the last mm-hmm. years. They have reduced the number of issues, but they publish the same number of stories because instead their issues are more pages. So they can fit the same number of stories in a year, but they do it with less issues. And that's, of course, a way to save money because they only have 13 issues to distribute every year. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just wanted to just wanted to um, go back to the to the team Fenerman thing for a moment. You said that um, when they started, they were writing stories about you know the history of Sweden and Scandinavia and putting the Phantom into um, you know those situations. So he was a part of history um, over the over the years, p- particularly kind of around the early ish two thousands. Um, there was a lot of um, English creators, a lot of uh, American creators like Tony DePaul, um, Ben Rabb and those guys writing for uh, Egmont, did the perception of because um, you said that, that Sweden has a very specific view of how um, an adventure story should be that's very different to say the American version, so when you had these American writers come in and when, you know some of the English ones as well, did that idea change did did it or did they sort of try and stick to i guess the traditional scandinavian view of an adventure story how did that did the readers no, notice any 
difference in how the stories were told? The uh, the American uh, writers they had to adapt to the Swedish style, yeah. which meant, for example, that the stories were longer. Uh, the standard Phantom story was 32 pages around that time, when the standard American comic book was 22 pages. And uh, also, the Swedish stories have more story in them. They have more panels, they have more text, they have, as you know, almost never a splash page uh, or a big action scene like they have in American comic books. So I know that uh, when Ben Robb started out, uh, and perhaps even Tony DePaul, uh, the editor of the Swedish uh, Phantom comic book, Ulf Granberg, he said that they could, they often had a good plot, the basic storyline, but they weren't used to filling it out for 32 pages and not use a lot of fight scenes and splash pages to fill out those yeah. number of pages. They were not uh, used to having so much dialogue and having so much panels and, you know, the stories couldn't be as straightforward as they were used to. And also, at least back then when they started, uh, there weren't so many uh, uh, multi-part stories. The American comic books, they are typically like a soap opera. The next issue continues where the preceding issue left off. Yeah. And that's not how the, the Phantom stories are used to be almost always uh, standalone stories that don't have to be read in any, in any particular order. Uh, so uh, they have to be self-contained for the most part, unless you have, you know, like a specific serial, like uh, when uh, Ben Robb wrote the four-part story about the Spear of Destiny, then, you know, he was given four issues to to write that story, but that's that's the exception and not the rule. Mm. So, so just going on, yeah. Sorry, just wanting just wanting to ask about those um, four part stories in Australia, and again, you know, comparing Australia to Sweden and you know and stuff like that. Australian readers, by general, generally don't like the. Story being broken up where you have like one or two parts together and then you have to wait a couple of months to get another part and then a couple of months to get another part. What's the reaction in with with um with the Swedes and is it you know, is it because of scheduling issues or is it or is it by design? It was mostly by because of scheduling issues. Uh, the Swedish readers don't like it either when a, a longer storyline is broken up in pieces and published several months apart. But in Sweden, they didn't have any choice when uh, when an artist couldn't deliver uh, the artwork in time. Well, then they had to put in uh, filler stories and stuff like that. And usually yeah. that was the reason. And I remember those days were very confusing because they had several multi-part storylines going on at the same time which was not good for uh, for uh, readers, I think, at all. Uh, but yeah, I think Fru doesn't have to do this. And I I think that I have even, even back then, I tried to uh, write uh, mail to Fru and sort of say, why don't you just sit back and uh, wait one year and then publish the stories in the right order? Because you don't have to be so close 
to the Swedish publishing date as you are now, because Fru basically published, in some cases, they published before the Swedish uh, version was published, because the Swedish magazine had the longer printing time because it was in color. It had to be colored also. Mm. And Fru, they, when they got the story, they got the story at the same time as the Swedish uh, editors, but they didn't have to wait for coloring, for example. So they could print it right away. And then they, in some cases, came out a week or two before the Swedish version, which was very strange. And also, then they sort of inherited the problem with uh, not having the uh, stories published, you know, one part after the other. So, I don't know why they did that. Perhaps it was some sort of simpler way of production for them also, but... What they could have done, and in my opinion should have done, is to just uh, wait, publish uh, reprints or uh, some of the old unpublished Team Phantom stories for a while and just have a, have a one year of hindsight so you can publish the source in a correct order instead. Yeah, I, I'm sure I've heard that argument somewhere before, multiple times. <laughs> Uh, um, I just wanted to ask Andreas about the uh, continuity thing because you said um, a lot of uh, Team Fetterman stories were standalone, but um, one of my I mentioned Who Guns Revenge before, but I think the thing that really made me think, oh wow, this this comic is amazing, was probably my first ever um, experience of ongoing continuity and you know that feeling of a bigger world. Um, which was yeah. Election in Bangala, which was printed in um, in Australia, at least, in 1994. So, obviously, there must have been some sort of shift in the thinking of Team Phantom Men to go from standalone stories to um, maybe yeah. not every single story being continuing straight after the other, but there's this feeling that all of these things happen in the same world, like the world isn't reset at the end of one issue because... The thing with um, the election, the battle between Luwaga and Labunga went on for several issues, and there was um, adventures happening that were unrelated to that, but you could tell it was still happening in the same time period or the same world because um, you know things were referenced even just slightly, and it's similar now with um, Sandal Singh being president of um, Bengal. You have issues where her being president has pretty much nothing to do with the story except you know, there might just be a, a TV in the background and it says Sandal Singh, you know, president or something like that. So why did they decide to change that? Were they influenced by, I don't know, the American comics that have that continuity or was it something they just wanted to try? Well, uh, you're absolutely right. That, that was a big change that they did. Uh, in Sweden, it was the year 1994 that was the year of change and it was promoted very heavily uh, in advertisements and uh, all, in all sorts of ways that the Phantom was changing that year. And basically the reason for changing was, of course, that uh, sales were dropping. It was brought on by uh, uh, economic reasons. And they wanted to do something to sort of attract new readers or make uh, readers stay longer if they sort of felt that as you say, it was the reset that after every issue you have to sort of follow a longer storyline to see what happens. Mm. Uh, the, the result was that stories were uh, very good, I, I would say, 
they, they really picked the right thing to change when they changed uh, the presidents of Bengali and uh, took in a, a more suspicious person instead of the good-hearted uh, president of Bala. That was the right choice to change, and then the side effects that came with it, that the jungle patrol was taken over by the president, and, and Diana had to move because uh, the United Nations weren't welcome in Bengali anymore, and stuff like that. That, were, that was the right choice to, to, to make. Unfortunately, it didn't affect the sales in, in a positive way, uh, possibly because the readers weren't used to this uh, when it came to the phantom. They wanted to pick up uh, an issue. Uh, you know, it, published, it was published once every two weeks, but I don't think that the majority of the readers picked up every issue. And they didn't start picking up every issue with this. Uh, instead, when they picked up an issue and they got confused because a lot of things had changed, instead they stopped reading and didn't pick up the next issue. It had the, almost the opposite effect. Oh, okay. Or at least it had no noticeable positive effect. So uh, you could say this was an experiment that lasted basically from 1994 to 1996. And then with the first issue of 1997, they were back to, I should say, uh, the regular style where most of the stories were standalone. And yep. instead they had to promote them. Now we're back to uh, the old style. You can pick up any issue when you want and you will be uh, able to follow the storyline. But as you say, they haven't abandoned it completely. They have brought it back, but uh, a little more uh, subtle with, you know, not, not so big effects from the changes. And also, they try to make sure that if you are a new reader that pick up this issue, there won't be any big changes that are unexplained. Uh, if sort of to, they, they have some, uh, they, they repeat the backstory if the backstory is necessary to understand the story that you're holding in your hand right now. So you don't feel lost even if you're picking up an issue for the first time in a couple of years or the first time ever. Oh, fair enough. So, um, when that, obviously, and spoilers for anyone that hasn't read the whole Lubunga saga, but obviously Lubunga was killed and then they brought him back, which, um, <laughs> was in yeah. 2000, I think. Was there a editorial reason for that, or did they just run out of ideas and thought, we've got to do something? Uh, I think that his uh, departure was brought on a bit too suddenly yeah. because of what I just said, that they felt that this experiment is working. People are not satisfied with having a big uh, villain who always uh, gets free in in every issue, the Phantom isn't succeeding in defeating him. So they sort of tied up the storyline a bit too quickly and they resolved it with his death instead of just putting him in jail because they sort of wanted to reassure the people that didn't like uh, the fact that Lubanga was uh, always slipping out of the Phantom's hand. So they, they took the uh, choice of killing him at the same time, they hadn't really... I don't think that the creators wanted to kill him off then. That's why he came came back. You know, they they wanted him to be a kind of character that could exist and bring in new storylines, even when he's no longer the president. 
Yeah. So that's why we had something that is unusual for the Phantom in that we have a comic book death uh, and the dead person comes back alive. That's something that we see a lot in the American superhero comics, but we have almost never seen in the Phantom. So that's why yeah. it stands up as, as, as an example of something that is very strange because in, in the Phantom's world, when you die, you die. Yeah, exactly. I, I must admit, when I read that, you know, he was coming back, I was hugely disappointed because that that whole series of issues with Lubanga and then including his death, I find to be some of the best Phantom comics I have ever read. And so, so I've always felt that bringing him back sort of lessened the impact of those, especially the the death issues. So, yeah, I, I personally, I think it was a mistake that they brought him back, but um, I can understand why now, which which is good. Is is that why we have Sandal Sandal Singh because she's not as um, uh, vicious or or as Lavanda, so it's not too much of a shock for everyone. And then following on from what you said as well, um, why if the sales didn't work with if the, if there wasn't an increase in sales with the Lavanda uh, ongoing storyline. Why do we now have another one with Sandal Singh and some of the other stuff that's going on? Well, as uh, Joe mentioned, it isn't as obvious today that there is a base storyline going on. I mean, she is the president, but that's not the basis of every story during the year. She appears now and then, but during the Lubanga years, you know, the whole big theme of every story was that a bad guy has taken over the presidency and how is the Phantom going to defeat him, even if the story didn't always revolve around Lubanga, you know, just the feeling you had during all these years was that the the only thing that we're waiting for is to get rid of Lubanga. And uh, somehow so, she's, she's a bit more in the in the gray zone, as you say. Yeah, yeah, people can, definitely. People can accept her. She's she, I mean, she she is a seeing pirate, and she can't be trusted. Uh, but uh, she's not always there, making trouble for the Phantom. Sometimes they are even working together against some common enemy, which yeah. never happened during the Lubanga years. And she might so even have his baby. Been, Whoa! Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, nine months should be up a long time ago. I don't know yeah, what's exactly. going on there. But. <laughs> it's actually interesting well, you mentioned that she's still in the grey area so it's more acceptable for, for Scandinavian fans that you know she's the Phantom's not always up against her it's interesting for me that you say that because and maybe it's because I do read a lot, a lot of American comics um, so maybe I'm in that mindset but I really want to know where that thing's going and I tell you what every time she's in an issue I go oh great we're going to find out what, what her master plan is you know obviously she's become the president for a reason and then yeah. we never find out what the reason is. So while I understand um, why they've done that for the Swedish readers, I don't know about other international readers, but for me it's beginning to get frustrating because I want to know what she's planning and we haven't found out. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I'll stop my rant. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, maybe we can move on a little bit. Um, now, in, in some of the things that we wanted to discuss... Um, one of the things is uh, Team Phantom and mini stories by new creators. Um, yeah. I would love to hear a little bit more about that, if that's okay. 
Yeah, that's that's so new that we haven't even seen it here yet in Sweden. I think the first issue that will include oh, oh it's exclusive uh, on the fan, on the Phantom podcast. <laughs> yeah, uh, the first <laughs> issue that has the one of these mini stories won't be out until next week. Uh, but what they are doing, well, we uh, a quick recap of the the reasons behind it is that uh, the editorial staff for the Phantom comic book changed a couple of years ago when Ulf Granberg retired. Uh, and the new editor is uh, Mikael Sol, who is responsible for the comic book. And he comes from uh, uh, Swedish... Uh, he is a comic creator himself, uh, with contacts among the new generation of the Swedish comic creators, you could say. So what he's doing now is that he's bringing in some of these new talents uh, that perhaps work in a style that is a bit new for the Phantom uh, and letting them do short stories like a, you know sometimes just perhaps as a variation of what we are used to seeing and sometimes to try out and see if these are creators that could carry a full length story in the future Okay. Yeah. so I believe, yeah. I, I believe these uh, new short stories, they will only be a couple of pages, I mean they could be two, three or four pages, but not more um and the first ones will appear in the next issue in about one week. And we have two confirmed artists that are contributing. The first one that I heard about is Kim Andersson. And he is a very, very big name in Swedish comics. Uh, he has been doing uh, several acclaimed and uh, best-selling graphic novels here in Sweden in the late, uh, latest years. So... He is a big name on his own before he has started doing The Phantom. And uh, uh, one key difference is, of course, that he draws in a style that doesn't resemble the style that we are used to for the main stories. Uh, his so style is a bit more modern. I would say his style is a bit, a bit more modern and a bit more cartoony and not uh, so... Uh, Realistic as some of the, at least some of the King of Thrones stories uh, artists are that, trying to do. Is it, is it going to be similar to that Batman animated style short story that was produced in the, was it the 90s? Yeah, uh, that was also an experiment, I think, in the, with the same idea that they were going to bring in artists that, you know, did it in a completely different style. The difference now is, of course, that the stories are even shorter. Uh, and I would also, I would also say that uh, the the artwork is a bit more detailed than that. That was a very simple, cartoony style yeah. that looked like you know, the Batman animated style. Uh, these artists, they have their own style. They are, you know, they have their own unique style. All artists uh, and. Another key difference is that they are also doing their own coloring work. So that, uh, that is something. I don't know if these stories will appear in full. Uh, that's something that yeah. you need to say for them. But, uh, you know, the, the regular stories, they are in color in Sweden these days. And they are still they are reprinted by Fru in black and white. So they look a bit uh, pale, I would say, sometimes. Because the, the artists, they leave a bit of room for the uh colors to fill out backgrounds and stuff like that, which sort of disappears when it's published by Fru. But Definitely. there will be 
these short stories will be even more so because the artists have done the coloring job themselves. So it's even more uh, a part of the entire artwork is the coloring. Uh, so I don't know what it would look like if it was published in black and white. Um, uh, and uh, anyway, we know for a fact that uh, Kim Anderson has, uh, he would be the first artist to do one of these short stories. And I think that he has written on his blog that right now he's working on his third short story. And uh, we have another confirmed name. It's an artist named Carl Jonsson. Uh, who uh, also has done graphic novels, mostly in the fantasy style before. Uh, so he will be the second artist that does one of these mini-stories. And then after that, we'll just see. I don't have any more information about names after that. Cool. Um, d- just for, for people listening, um, Andreas actually did post uh, a little while ago, well, a couple of months ago, and, um a preview of Kim Anderson's Phantom artwork on Chronicle Chamber. So if you go to the website, and um, I'm pretty sure it's still on the front page down the bottom, but if not, if you just search Kim Anderson, you'll, you'll be able to find it. And the artwork is um, it is quite, quite cartoony, but I really like it, actually. I, I think it's quite nice. It's got a very animated style. So um, Yeah, it's, uh, it's very action-based, as you can see. You know, it's... Uh Dramatic angles and uh, uh, movement in the in the scenes. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what people's um, reaction to it is when it when it finally comes out. But um, yeah, I, I for for one like it. So I hope that through uh, reprints it, they might you know wait until the whole bunch of stories are done and then do it in one issue or something. But um, maybe that's another question we can ask Steve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, Steve. <laughs> um, I reckon, yeah, I'm looking at the preview image as well, and I quite like it. Um, I'm thinking it would be good for, like, an annual or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I don't know if you noticed it uh, on the preview image, but it's not our it's the regular female Samson. Yeah. It, uh, it, it, uh, I, w- I would say that it's probably the current Phantom's daughter. Yeah, it, it looks young and, and possibly female, so that's that's kind of cool. Just in itself, it's going to be excited for Definitely. the story. So, moving on again, another one of the points that you had was Team Phantom Men for next year, and then also yeah. the upcoming uh, chapter calendar as well. Yeah. Um for next year, well, first of all, if you go back to one of the things that we mentioned briefly was the uh, app uh, that was released a while ago. That's a project that I was involved in for a long time that has been going on for you know many years in development. And as you know, uh, Egmont released uh, an app for iPad where they can uh, uh, publish phantom stories uh, and people can uh, read it on their iPad. Now, this app has been... Uh, not promoted very actively recently, but that is for for a good reason, and that is that they are developing it for other platforms. So those of you who want it for Samsung or uh, just your regular computer will have it available there in the future. Of course, it's uh, still only going to be in Swedish, so uh, the the main focus is to for the Swedish readers and perhaps uh, find those readers 
young and old that aren't interested in buying paper comics anymore. Uh, so, and, uh, sorry, you s- just wanted to jump in for a quick second. Now, you said that it was going to be released for the for a website version as well. And that's my understanding that it's going to be available to read uh, from your computer and not just uh, an iPad or a Samsung device. So, in other words, we, you know, people that don't live in in uh, Sweden or don't have our our um, Apple IDs set to um, Sweden or Denmark would be able to view the app in a sense via the website. Possibly, I have, we haven't seen it uh, online yet, but. Uh, you know, the focus oh, of the readership is, is the Swedish market, so uh, that's yeah, uh, the main focus. Uh, uh, for for uh, readers outside of Sweden, it would just be some sort of uh, cool thing to watch, because I imagine you don't read Swedish anyway. No, The purpose is to be we, able to reach yeah. as many Swedish readers as possible, and... Uh, uh, that's uh, the good news there is that they are going to develop it for other platforms so that's available for yeah, as many definitely. people as possible. Um, and the changes, well, all this is sort of tied together, both the mini-stories and the app and uh, the, the changes that were made for this year. I, when the first issue of this year was released, it was noticeable that the, the magazine had been reduced in the number of pages. The Phantom comic book regular issue was always in the past 68 pages, uh, but now it had been reduced to 52 pages. Uh, that is, of course, also a way of cutting costs and saving money. Uh, and the decisions, all these economic decisions are always made by someone higher up that isn't, you know, isn't part of the staff that is actually working on the comic book. So they just have to adapt to these changes, which I think that they have been doing very well. Uh, yeah. When it was decided that they had to reduce the number of pages for the comic book, then they decided that they should only focus on new comics that hadn't been published in Sweden before. So they took away all the reprints of old Phantom stories, and uh, instead they brought in newspaper stories that hadn't been published in Sweden before, like the Sunday stories by Graham Nolan that were, for the most part, skipped when he was actually doing the stories. Oh, they are being shame. published in they are actually being published in Sweden now instead. And yeah. you know, for Swedish readers, they are new material. Also, all the backup comics are also new material, and a lot of it is actually, you know, it isn't just. Uh, foreign comics that are new for Swedish readers. It is comics that are produced directly for the Phantom comic book and haven't been published anywhere else before. So the reduction in the uh, number of pages for the issues led to a bigger focus on uh, new comics instead. However, for the next year, there is also going to be a change uh, that sort of follows in these uh, uh, economic footsteps, and that is that they are going to reduce the number of pages for a regular Phantom story. Uh, for many, many years, a regular Phantom story has been 32 pages, and I believe that for next year, the standard length of a Phantom story will be 22 pages, which is closer oh. to American standard. Uh, 
And of course, this will change the storytelling somewhat. Uh, we haven't seen anything yet. Uh, we haven't uh, heard anything really from the uh, from the editorial staff officially. I was uh, I was told this uh, rumor started to spread actually on the various forums. I don't know how the people there got their information. But uh, when I asked the editor, I uh, got the confirmation that this is actually what's going to happen, and it uh, it was okay for me to mention it here on this podcast. Uh, but it hasn't been officially released in any in any way else. Uh, but of course, reducing the number of pages will uh, require some changes to the storytelling, and we don't know what it will be like. But I am quite certain that like with any other changes in the past, they are going to do something good on the situation. Uh, I think that in recent years, there have been a lot of stories that didn't really feel like they required 32 pages. They were sort of filling out a lot of pages with stuff that wasn't really uh, contributing to the story. I think that... uh, So you reckon the stories would be a little bit more punchier and a little bit more um, to the point and action-driven? Yeah, exactly. I I don't know yet if it's going to affect, you know, the action scenes uh, very much, but uh, it probably will remove some of these uh, uh, scenes that didn't really contribute to the actual story. It's going to be more focused, and it, it won't have a couple of pages of introduction for a historical story where the Phantom has to find a reason to open the Chronicle book and read the story to his children or something. I think it's just going to start right away. Stuff like that. You take away the the transport pages that doesn't really bring anything to the story. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be interesting. Course, it's going to be interesting to see how this is going to affect um, through, of course, for us yes, Australian readers. Yeah, because the difference is that Prue can't fill out with the backup comics. What's going to happen in Sweden is that during the years that we have had, the backup comics has had a bit of a problem finding their space. Uh, they have been mm. they have been fewer pages for the backup comics, which are actually very popular comics among the readers, and they had to split up some of the uh, stories with the backup comics had to be split up in uh, serials of the, you know two or three issues. And that was not popular. So this change in Sweden will mean that the backup comics will have as much space as, as they had before and uh, will be easier to follow for the readers here in Sweden. But Fru, who publishes only a 36-page comic book with no backups, they will suddenly have, you know, 10 pages to fill when, uh, when they have only a 22-page story to publish. Uh, and that's a possible place also where these mini stories could appear of course cool yeah that, wow that that sounds really but interesting that's, um, yeah and that's of course up to true uh, because this is all very new it's uh, as i said it hasn't barely been confirmed here in sweden so i don't think that true has even had time to really think <laughs> about it yet yeah. there you go you heard it here yeah. first folks <laughs> um I wonder if well, Steve I know, is I'm, Yeah, well, I know he's listened to a few of the previous ones. So, um, yeah, Steve, you might want to uh, get onto the phone with um, 
with uh, Egmont when you hear this. <laughs> Press pause and, uh, and have, a, have a phone call with him. <laughs> oh, he'll, he'll just ring us. We tell him what to do all the time. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Oh, well, that's, um, that's, that's very interesting. Um, yeah, thanks for breaking that on there. Um, so what are, you, what are you guys doing for the calendar this year? Uh, this year we're going to have a theme of historical stories. Uh, so, uh, as you know, there used to be a phantom comic book here in Sweden that was called Phantom and Kronika, which was a reprint uh, comic book. It was released, uh, they made exactly 100 issues of it. And uh, for the most part, at least, uh, they reprinted only the historical stories of the phantoms, various mm. phantoms. So for this year's calendar... Yeah, I was just I was just going to say sorry that I've got a few of those, including uh, a hardcover one as well. I think it is. Um, yeah, it is. A- and uh, and and they are. Uh, it's a great concept. Um, it's a great concept to be able to read all the stories in one. I think what I would have liked to seen is this is the stories about like the first Phantom and all that because I found those stories were the most fascinating. And to be able to read those all together as one, one after another, would be is a brilliant idea. Yeah, and as I said, the historical stories have in general been very, very popular here among the Scandinavian readers. So uh, this year we're doing a tribute to that, and uh, we are choosing the artwork from uh, the Phantom and Kronika issues. We're going to pick Twelve of the covers from that uh, series. They, all the covers were made by Hans Lindahl, and they were, uh, I must say, some of his very best work. And uh, that means that every page in the calendar will have a historical phantom. And what? we're also going to, uh, in the previous calendars, we used to uh, mark dates that were important for phantom fans, and that were. That was dates that were taken from the real world, you know, the, the date when the first uh, Phantom comic strip was published in, uh, in the U.S. and the date when the first uh, Phantom comic book was published in Sweden and stuff like that. That was marked on the calendar as uh, dates of interest. And for this historical theme, we're going to pick dates from within the stories, like when, uh, oh, the, yeah. Phantom has, when, the, when the Phantom has been on a mission... Uh, in uh, France in the uh, during the revolution, we're going to mark that date as a date of interest instead of you know a date from the real world. We're going to pick dates from uh, within the actual stories themselves. Oh wow, that's really cool. That's, that's, that sounds very good. I'll uh, have to get myself a copy like usual. Yep, definitely. Yep. Cool. So um, I suppose there's one other thing we've got to um, ask you about. Okay, this is really me needing to ask you about. Um, the Phantom Theme Park that um, I don't think is currently operating but used to be it used to be in Sweden. Can you can you tell us about that and were you able, ever able to go? What was it, what was it like? So I've seen photos and it looks amazing <laughs> and I'm very upset I never got to visit. So can you tell us anything about the uh, Phantom Theme theme park that used to be there yeah first of all it was it was not a separate theme park it was part of a, a bigger uh, place a zoo that is called Parken Zoo in a city called Eskilstuna about uh, about one hour train ride outside of uh, Stockholm 
And it was open in 1986, which was the year when the Phantom comic strip turned 50. And it was also a year when the Phantom was, you know, almost at its peak in Sweden when it comes to interest and sales and everything like that. So it was the exact right timing to open it. And what it actually was, it was, as I said, it was part of a zoo. Uh, and a zoo theme works very well with the phantom anyway, so it sort of felt like it, but it could all be seen as, uh, you know, a phantom uh, theme park, all of it, because they had tigers and other jungle animals that felt uh, like they came right out of the comic pages. But then what they actually did there, it wasn't, it wasn't like Disneyland where they had big rides with the carousels and uh, roller coasters and stuff like that. It was more like a, a playground with the phantom theme. They had a skull cave, and inside the skull cave there was a skull throne, and they always had someone on location who was dressed as the phantom and, you know, performing as the phantom uh, on that location. And they had uh, they had made the Whispering Grove trees and uh, many other scenes from the comic book. But it wasn't... Uh, you couldn't do much. There wasn't much activities there that were phantom related. I mean, there were like uh, the typical uh, swings and stuff like that, but there wasn't a big uh, roller coaster ride or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Still sounds pretty cool, though. It was pretty cool, and uh, when they opened it, Lee Falk was there. Lee Falk, he did a tour of Sweden and, and Scandinavia in 1986 because wow. of the 50th anniversary. So he was there on, on the opening day and he signed his autograph in a block of concrete on the wall, inside the wall of the skull cave that he had there. Oh, and wow, uh, as I said, the, the, the opening came at the exact right time when the Phantom was as most popular. Uh, so this was actually not designed to be a long-lasting thing. They thought that this is, you know, this is an event that we will keep going for a couple of years, and then we will replace the Phantom with something else. But they actually did it for, uh, well, until 2010. So oh, they, sure. it, lasted, it lasted from 1986 to 2010 until they wow. finally replaced the Phantom with another character. Uh, and by then... Why, the reason they had for replacing the Phantom was that the Phantom wasn't as uh, recognizable among uh, younger people in Sweden at that time. Yeah. You know, mo- they, they said that most of our young visitors, they know the Phantom as the character here at at the theme park. They don't know about the comic. So they wanted, oh, okay. to, uh, so they wanted to replace, uh, they replaced the Phantom with a character from a computer game that I don't believe was very well known either, but you know, <laughs> at least they wanted to do something. Uh. Uh, so it, it it ended unfortunately, but it lasted a much much uh, longer than they had expected, and uh, uh, in that sense, it was a success. I do personally think that they they could be done something similar, and I know people that are that have ideas, but. Uh, it would probably more be more like a comic book theme park where the Phantom is one of many characters, perhaps one of the main characters, but not the only character that carry a whole uh, place to visit. Oh, well, wow. hopefully, that, that would be great. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully that happens. That sounds 
Sounds like it'll be great fun. Man, maybe we should move to Sweden, Jermaine. <laughs> yeah, we should miss come and visit first. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Cool. Well, um, I think I think we've covered all the, the topics that um, that we we had written down to, to discuss. We've um, we've taken up two hours of your time almost, Andreas. But is there anything else you'd like to um, like to discuss before we wrap this up? Uh, I just uh, remember one thing that I didn't mention. As um, I said before, that I do a bit of freelance work for the Phantom Comic Book. But, uh, first of all, that's what I am. I'm a freelancer. I don't. I'm not part of the editorial staff. So these uh, big changes and uh, new ideas for how to produce stories are usually something that I learn at the same time as any other reader. Just when I get my comic book in the mail. And I open up and see it. Oh, they changed the number of pages or something like that. So uh, I I have some things to tell you now that are news, but that's uh, usually not the case for me. But I know so much before the regular reader. Uh, but what I do for uh, for Egmont and the fan comic book that is, as I said, I do I, I answer some uh, reader questions and. And sometimes I write articles that are a bit more in-depth about uh, places or uh, stories from the past. And what I've been doing for the last year is that I've been doing, uh, I've been writing character profiles, biographies about characters from the comic, from the Phantom comic. And every issue of uh, Swedish Phantom comic book has printed uh, has printed these uh, biographies at the end of each issue. Mm-hmm. And uh, as part of uh, the philosophy this year that everything in the uh, in the Phantom comic book should be something new. It's, uh, it hasn't been uh, uh, only uh, com- completed with the uh, old panels from stories, but every biography also has a piece of new artwork by an artist named Henrik Jonsson, who is also a uh, rising star among Swedish comics. He's actually the first Swedish artist who has been uh, published by one of the big... Anyway, the, uh, every character profile that I have written for this past year has been uh, added to with a new artwork by Henrik Jonsson, who is uh, uh, the first Swedish comic artist to be published by the major companies in the U.S. He's been doing a couple of stories for DC Comics, Batman-related stuff and stuff like that. And yes, uh, I'm guessing that he will be a new team Phantomen artist, but he hasn't uh, uh, started an, any story yet, but uh, you know he should be because he's a very talented artist and he, he knows the Phantom. He's a fan from long ago and... He has been doing great work on these character profiles, making them look good also. Oh, that's great. Cool. Well, yeah, I've, um, I do get the, um, uh, the, I've got a subscription to the Phantom Men, and those, um, character profiles are, are very, um, are very interesting. I only wish they kind of came in English. Maybe we've got to put them on the wiki so I can also read them. Um, but it sounds like a brilliant idea. Yeah, and uh, as I said, with the new artwork, it, uh, it really comes to life. And uh, I would, uh, if I were you, I would su- suggest to Steve uh, that Fu picks them up also. Yes. 
Definitely. Well, I guess if there's only going to be um, 22 pages uh, from next year onwards, they, they might be able to use them as fillers. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. And it'd be a good way to introduce new readers here in Australia to um, the Phantom and the characters as well. So, get some young folk into the Phantom, which would be good. Cool. So, um, I think that's that's probably it. Uh, is there anything else that anyone else would like to mention before we wrap up? Um, oh, a quick question. More, I collect, you know, I collect comics as well as you know little bits and pieces like, uh, you know, like the supplements that are added with the comics. Do does that bring increasing sales for you guys? Uh, yeah, as you know, sometimes issues of uh, the Swedish Phantom comic books include rings or uh, pins or uh, stickers or stuff like that, and definitely it, uh, it affects sales, otherwise they wouldn't be doing it. It's as simple as that. So yeah. The, the, the trick is to find something that is suitable for the Phantom, you know, it can be just any random toy with the Phantom logo on it. it it should be something that connects with the Phantom. So uh, that's where we have seen the rings over and over again because they, they are really good uh, stuff to produce and they are very connected to the comic also. Mm. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Cool. Definitely. Right. Right. Well, um, I reckon that'll do us for this episode, seeing we're closing in on the two-hour mark. Uh, thank you very much, Andreas, for joining us here on Xband. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you for having me. Oh, well, more than more than happy to have you on here, and um, giving us uh, insight into the Phantom in Sweden has been has been extremely interesting, and I'm sure um, all the listeners will feel the same. Righto. Well, we'll wrap this up. So. Thanks, everybody, for listening well, to... We'll have to have you back. Yeah, definitely. We'll, we'll definitely have to have you back. Maybe once all those um, new stories and stuff start, we can talk to you and see what the uh, reaction in, in Sweden has been. Yeah. Right, well, um, thank, thank you, everybody, to listening yes. to this episode of X-Band. Uh, as always, you can find us on uh, Facebook at uh, Chronicle Chambers Phantom fan page, and, of course, on Phantom Collector. There is, of course, the parent website, chroniclechamber.com, and we're also on Google Plus and Twitter. So if you're looking for us in any of those places, we will have profiles. If you're looking to get to those profiles, there are, of course, links on the website. So thank you again, Andreas, for joining us. Thank you, Jermaine, once again, for being here to help keep me on track. <laughs> and Thank you to everyone listening. We hope you join us again for our next episode. See you later, everybody.